There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. We now have a Marine Corps helicopter carrying five troops who's going from Nevada to California that... uh, that went down in a, in a historic thorm, storm. I was getting phone calls from relatives asking me how my kids were because of the storms in California. And it would only affect uh, Southern California, which is you know where Derek is in LA, but it's really more, it's even a little south of that. But the um, this military Marine Corps helicopter has been missing for a while, and they did find it in a mountainous area outside of San Diego just after 9 o'clock this morning in a community called Pine Valley, which is about 45 miles outside of San Diego. The problem was it was snowy there, and they couldn't get to the uh, helicopter. They were flying a CH-53E Super Stallion helicopter from Creech Air Force Base, which is just northwest of Las Vegas, where they had been doing unit-level training, and they were returning home to Marine Corps Air Station Miramar in San Diego. So it's not immediately known any of the details. We do know there were heavy downpours throughout that area, um, but they have not said whether or not They've recovered any any humans, or I don't think they've even really gotten that close to the helicopter because of the weather. But it's weird because when I heard this story, I guess it was early this morning or maybe it was late last night, I had just finished watching this Uh, And I have no idea what channel it was on because I don't really watch TV, but my husband was watching this story about Kobe Bryant. And about, it was, you know, probably ESPN or one of those kinds of stations, Netflix, and it was about his, his life story and his career. And of course, he went down in a helicopter accident along with his daughter and another family. And at the end of that show, after watching it, I went to bed ahead of my husband. He was still uh, watching something. And I went to bed and I started thinking about all these like helicopter accidents and helicopters that just really don't seem very safe, particularly some of these marine and, and military helicopters. There always seems to be problems. And I have to admit, I was thinking as I was lying there last night, like when was the last time that I was in a helicopter? And it was quite a long time ago. I was in a helicopter in Alaska 
So that has to be maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And I was in like a sightseeing kind of helicopter. And I was nervous. I have to say, I'm a person who's who's, uh, been able to even pilot my own ultralight plane. So I'm not afraid to fly in any sense of the word. I'm not afraid of commercial airlines or any of that. I don't have any discomfort. You're not going to find me, you know, I don't need to take a Valium to get on an airplane. I'm not one of those people. But the last time I had that, I was in a helicopter, I was very unhappy, uncomfortable. I didn't like it. It's noisy. And I, I just, you know, I remember feeling not that safe. And of course, the terrain was pretty rugged. Um, and I was completely out of my element. So I just chalked it off to, you know, just feeling weird about a helicopter. And then I watched this uh, Kobe Bryant special. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched from about the middle to the end. So, of course, the helicopter uh, accident was in there. And I had one of those sick dreams. You know how you always have a dream that's not exactly what you were thinking about before you went to bed, but it sort of got triggered by whatever it was you were thinking about? And this was just a really bizarre dream about being like lost and trying to flag down a helicopter and them not seeing me and not having the, the tools that I needed to light a fire. I, it was just one of those weird dreams. And then I either woke up to the news or it had filtered into my consciousness somewhere during the course of the night that this marine helicopter was lost. So I, me and helicopters, is probably not going to happen anymore. Uh, there's Not that I have been offered any helicopter rides lately. It was kind of interesting that in the final years of his life, Kobe Bryant had become like a helicopter commuter because it gave him more time to be with his family, and he would take helicopter to, to practice, to games, you know, and here I am thinking, I don't ever want to get on a helicopter again. And now I'm quite convinced that uh, I've just seen too many things in the last 10, 15 years that dissuade me from wanting to, wanting to fly in that rotary aircraft. Uh, I, I like the uh, fixed wing jets. That's my speed. And at least if you're in an ultralight or something like that, you have a lot of control and I only did them in the Keys, so you're over water most of the time. It wasn't really scary at all. It was li- liberating and, and, and fun. But there's so much going on, so much bad news, that you just, you know, that seems to me to be just another piece of bad news. Of course, it's worse than just bad news to the families of the five people who were in that helicopter. They call this helicopter, by the way, the Super Stallion, CH-53E, they call it the hurricane maker because of the amount of downwash that's generated from its three engines. These, these were the exact helicopters that were used in Mogadishu, in Somalia, back in January of 1990, when they had to go in and rescue our, our, not just our allies, but Americans from the embassy in Mogadishu, and I don't need to remind everybody of what a catastrophe that was. Or 
you know, who was in charge at the time. Let's just leave that. But I've been watching a good deal of internet video in the last 48 hours. I, you know, it started when I was looking for that Grammy performance. And then once you get on YouTube and once they get your interests or whatever your algorithm comes up, you're just going to get bombarded. And so I was getting bombarded yesterday with a lot of, which I, I don't even know what to call it. it. It's not even contemporary news stories. It's like analysis of old news stories. And I didn't know that that was even something that was out there. And I don't know how I fell into that algorithm. And I don't know that I want to find out. But for instance, I was listening to a segment on a, a television program where Molly Hemingway was talking about everything that's wrong with U.S. elections. And all I kept thinking is, well, I've seen Molly Hemingway do that, and I read her book. So I know exactly what she thinks is wrong and what I know is wrong with U.S. elections and how I definitely believe they're being rigged and they want to seize control of this country. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind. And she did uh, such a good job in this little film clip in talking about mail-in ballots and, you know, when uh, Mark Zuckerberg was funding all of these uh, mail-in ballot initiatives and all the censorship that big tech was responsible for and that our own government was responsible for. And now, you know, trying to put Trump in jail. That's like their whole... Uh, reason for existence. The whole system of self-governance is under attack right now. What's wrong with an election day where we all vote, where everybody votes at the same time, and that everybody has the same amount of information, and that you count the votes quickly, and everybody trusts the outcome, and instead now we have these, you know, interminable election seasons that lasts for months, months before the election day, months, even months after the election day. It's so absurd when you think about it that we, you have to understand, some people have already voted before they even get to see a presidential debate. Because by the time Joe Biden and Donald Trump debated in the last election, there were states that it had been running election, you know, ballot collections for months. So you didn't even know what these two candidates, or if you didn't know, you had a hard time figuring out what their current positions and policy statements were, and you already cast your ballot. And it had already been counted. She was uh, testifying in front of Congress is the sound clip that, that I saw, or the video clip that I saw. And it took her four minutes to explain better than I've ever heard it explained in hours how the voter rolls across the nation during 2020, um, during really 2016, 2018, 2022, they are not cleansing them. They're not cleaning them. They're still filled with people who have passed away. I mean, 
how ridiculous is it that I'm a radio personality in Florida and I have had repeated conversations with the supervisor of elections office, including conversations with the actual supervisor of election, including on the air, where I've been promised that they would get my mother off of the voters' rolls. And here we are, 11 and a half years post my mother's death, she's still a registered voter. And that's with people trying to get her off, or at least they tell me they're trying. I know I've been trying. We flood addresses across the country with tens of millions of unsupervised mail-in ballots months ahead of elections to locations from which voters, if they're even alive, they don't live there. Instead of having an election administration that's nonpartisan and impartial under the law, no, 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 it's handled by the parties. This is crazy, and she did such an amazing job in explaining it. So... You should probably look it up. Uh, go on the, on the, you can go on the congressional website because it was a congressional hearing that she was speaking in front of. She gave this testimony. Um, and you should see it. She talks about everything, big tech censorship, the whole nine yards, and she does a better job in four minutes than any elected official or any supervisor of election that I've ever had a conversation with. It's pretty... Uh, Pretty big praise for her and pretty pathetic about our elected uh, representatives and our supervisors' uh, offices. Anyway, don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app on your phone or on your laptop, or at least visit our website on a regular basis. That's 850WFTL.com so you can be part of the contest and you can listen to all the podcasts and all that cool stuff. Let me take a quick break and then I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The former top prosecutor for the city of Baltimore um, was was crying as she was, you know, facing the jury where there was a split verdict on her federal mortgage fraud uh, trial. But she was found guilty on a second mortgage fraud charge. And then she gave racked, I'm reading from the article that's in the um, uh, news commentary station. I think it's Reuters. It says, she was racked by sobs as she was convicted of mortgage fraud, meaning she now faces decades in prison. Adding that she was on Tuesday convicted of using a bogus COVID hardship claim to tap into her retirement funds to buy one of the two Florida vacation homes that she owns. Let's see, how long is it going to be before Marilyn Mosby uh, screams that this is just racism? Yeah, the fact that she committed mortgage fraud has nothing to do with her race. Let's just clearly establish that. 
and she had a very uh, interesting jury. It was made up primarily, as you would find most juries in Baltimore, made up primarily of people of color. So how is she going to, you know, how is she going to pull this one off? But that's what happens. She, she, the charges are because she had these loan applications to buy two Florida vacation homes. You know, there's always a Florida connection. It doesn't matter where the story actually begins. It always ends in Florida or it begins in Florida. But, you know, this is a woman who served two terms and made lots of headlines because she's, she charged the police officers in the death of Freddie Gray back in 2015. Then she got indicted herself by a federal grand jury on this mortgage fraud stuff, apparently, and lost her reelection bid in 2022. She was convicted of two counts of perjury in November for falsely claiming financial hardship during the COVID-19 pandemic to make an early withdrawal from her retirement account. The charges claim she then used the funds as down payments on the two Florida properties. So wait a second, let me get this straight. She said that she was having financial difficulties, so could she take money out of her, her own retirement fund? I don't know that I find anything wrong with that. She wasn't taking somebody else's money. She just wanted access to her own money. But apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal and everyone else, that's a crime. The trial included emotional testimony from her and her ex-husband, who was the Baltimore City Council President, Nick Mosby, who said he lied to her about their outstanding federal tax debt because he was embarrassed. Marilyn Mosby testified that she didn't intentionally make any false statements and signed the loan applications in good faith. Having never bought property before, she said she trusted real estate professionals and her husband during a stressful time. Prosecutors say Mosby lied about receiving a $5,000 gift from her then husband, which allowed her to secure a lower interest rate. She faces a maximum of 30 years in federal prison and then five years for each of the perjury charges. This woman isn't going to serve a day in jail. And, and to be honest, I don't like Marilyn Mosby, but this sounds ridiculous to me. You know, you can give her like, uh, you know, give her some community service and she shouldn't lie. She's a public official. She shouldn't have, you know, made fraudulent statements in a mortgage application, but she didn't take anything from anybody else. I thought when I first heard about this, that she was actually taking federal funds that were being given to people who are struggling through COVID-19, but we're talking to 2015. There was no COVID-19. These loan applications were submitted before COVID. I don't know. This is, uh, just because I don't like someone, unlike the Democrats, I don't want to see them hang just because I don't like them. You know, let's be equitable in every case. I don't know what the heck. Um, and, and how is it that her, her husband, her former husband, wasn't charged? I mean, it sounds like it was kind of his, his kind of he set her up is what it sounds like. But hey, listen, I, didn't, I don't understand half of the uh, legal system anymore. I, I look at what's going on right now in these Trump trials and they're just, it's bizarre to me. 
how could you hate somebody so much that you're willing to just you know trash the Constitution? I I don't get it. I I don't hate anybody that much. Never mind a public figure. It's not like you know. I'm one of these people who, when I see the instance of a dad is in a courtroom, and they let the the guy or the woman who murdered his child off, and then he lunges and 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 kills the the perpetrator. I don't, you know, I don't have a real big problem with that. I I can understand that. Let's say it's not he shouldn't do it, but I can understand it. What I can't understand is hating Donald Trump that way. I don't think he hurt anybody's kid. I don't think he, I don't even think that he did anything that approximates insurrection. And I think people really need to take a step back and ask themselves why they're so, why are they so angry at him? What is it about him? His success, I mean, it, none of it makes sense to me. The very same people who used to, you know, dance with him at the, every wedding and, and event, the Clintons, everybody was friendly with Donald Trump. All those people now think he's like, you know, Satan. How does that happen? It's like that uh, mass formation craziness that we all underwent during COVID, which was a nightmare, the more I think about it. Anyway, when I come back from this break, I don't have any guests today. Tomorrow I'm guest intensive, so I don't have any guests today. But when we come back, I have to share with you the writings of Hoda Janat, um, who is a blogger who just happens to be a Muslim. And she has written some stuff on her blog posts that really is eye-opening and should be distributed widely. But I'm the person who said we should have seen the actual testimony and photographs of what happened on October 7th, because now we're beginning to hear, you know, the testimony from uh, girls who were raped and all the rest of it. And it does make a difference when you hear that. But wait till you hear what this Muslim blogger, Hoda Janat, is got, you know, what, what she has posted, because there's got to be a fatwa on her because this is not, not, you can't run away from this truth. All right, let me take a quick break. Stay right where you are. This blogger, this uh, blogger who describes herself as a Muslim blogger, so I'm not just trying to label her, said she's shocked by what she has learned about Gaza since the beginning of the war. And she describes what she learned from the war process and reveals something that I think most people know zero about, which is that the residents of Gaza and the leaders of the Hamas organization have had a pretty, uh, a much better life than a lot of other people in the Arab world. And the reason is because of Israel. And she exposes the hypocrisy of Hamas because she, she says the condition of the Gazans, you keep being told, was so bad before the war. And this is what she found out. We suddenly discovered that in the Gaza Strip, where 2 million people live, there are 36 hospitals. There are Arab countries with a population of 30 million 
not 2 million, but 30 million, and they don't have that many hospitals. Surprisingly, we discovered that Gaza receives free water, electricity, gas, and fuel from Israel. Of course, there is not a single Arab citizen anywhere else in the world who doesn't have to pay for water and electricity and gas. She said, we suddenly found out that Gaza receives $30 million a month just from Qatar and $120 million a month from UNRWA, the United Nations uh, Relief Agency for the Palestinians, $50 million a month from the European Union and $30 million a month from America. She said there are Arab countries drowning in debt and can't find anyone who can give them even $1 million. And here, if you add up what she discovered, $230 million they're getting. And other countries can't even access a million dollars in loans, never mind giveaways. She said, suddenly we discovered that there is no siege on Gaza and all the goods flow there and the borders are actually still open. The Gazans went to Egypt and from there to all over the world. She said, unexpectedly, we discovered that Arabs live better in Gaza than in most Arab countries. Suddenly we discovered that our minds were programmed by the lies of the Muslim Brotherhood media. Suddenly we discovered that the children in Gaza are not children as we normally imagine children, but terrorist children with machine guns and suicide belts who have undergone special training by Hamas. We suddenly discovered that the schools and hospitals and mosques in Gaza are organized terrorist headquarters and ammunition depots with underground tunnels of Hamas. She said, we suddenly discovered that in Gaza, there is an underground metro of Hamas that stretches over 500 kilometers, which Israel can only envy. We discovered that the so-called doctors and teachers in Gaza turned out to be active Hamas terrorists. Suddenly, we discovered that rockets and mortars are kept in children's rooms in Gaza homes. Suddenly, we discovered that Hitler and his book Mein Kampf are very popular in Gaza, and its Arabic translation was in almost every house in Gaza, or a portrait of Hitler. Suddenly, we discovered that Gazans live a relative life of ease and luxury with multi-story mansions with swimming pools and premium German cars. We suddenly discovered that there is no Israeli blockade in Gaza because it still borders its Muslim sister, Egypt. We suddenly discovered that most of the citizens in Gaza support Hamas and other terrorist groups, actually elected Hamas in democratic elections and celebrated the massacre on October 7th. We discovered that so-called reporters and journalists in Gaza who work for the Western media, CNN, AP, Reuters, and others, also turned out to be Hamas terrorists who participated in the October 7th massacre. We suddenly discovered that the so-called peace activists and workers of international human rights organizations of the UN, the Red Cross, and the WHO turned out to be terrorists and corrupt Hamas. We suddenly discovered that each of the Hamas leaders is a billionaire and richer than President Trump with a net worth of four to $5 billion each. And to conclude, 
the Muslim blogger exposed the mask of hypocrisy of Hamas in Gaza in a series of tweets that shook the Arab world. Now, this person is not safe. <laughs> I can tell you that. And uh, I hope that is that, that she is being protected because I can think of uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali, who has been under a fatwa, and Salman Rushdie, who decades after the fatwa was first even uh, put out there on Salman Rushdie, he ends up being stabbed in New York decades after the fatwa was put in place. So this, this was a bold, bold woman, and I think people better start paying attention to the fact that, you know, these, the people that we are uh, so silly, yeah, how do I say this without being really negative and nasty? I can't. The people that we're so worried about protecting support and hide terrorists. I don't want to protect them. I really don't. I, I don't want to eliminate them, but they need to be exposed. And Israel needs to do what it needs to do. And that's all, you know, anybody should, should say. To know that I have this nonsense going on right now, which really uh, makes my stomach turn. You can't send aid to Israel because you don't want to send aid to, uh, to Ukraine. You can't secure our border, so you can't send aid to Israel and you can't send aid to Ukraine. What kind of legislative uh, agenda is this? How does this work? It doesn't work. That's why people are so frustrated. You know, I, I loathe Mitch McConnell. I mean, I think Mitch McConnell uh, should have retired many, 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 many years ago. But to hear him screaming and stomping his feet now another one of these octogenarians who he does he can't believe he's under attack even from people in his own party well of course you are because there's two issues here and the issues are border security and the two wars the war in Ukraine and the war in Israel so this 82 year old dude is very into funding the Ukrainian war effort now, I, I don't know, is, is he worried about his legacy? Is that what this is all about? But his party isn't going to buy it. They rejected the bipartisan trade of tougher border policies for war funding, and they're making lots of noise. Senator Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, they're all saying, step down. You know, it's enough already. Yeah, and right away, let me tell you, it's tough to step down while he's still in power. When Rick Scott ran against him, our senator, our junior senator, he got yanked off all these committees. Ted Cruz got yanked off all these committees. I don't think Ted Cruz minds, and Ted Cruz is in a very tough race right now. Yeah, I don't know how that race is going to end up. I think Senator Scott will win his race, but just because he challenged Mitch McConnell, now Mitch McConnell goes, uh, yeah, they, they had their shot. What do you mean they had their shot? This is about what do the people want? We want a secure border. We don't want that linked to any other, you know, war efforts or anything else. You need to secure the border. It's a national security crisis that's happening on the border. 
And this administration doesn't seem to give a hoot. They really don't because they're watching the same thing we're watching. There's nobody going to deny that there's literally lines of young, able-bodied men crossing the border every single day. How is that asylum? So I don't know if um, Mitch McConnell intends to run again. He had a couple of those episodes this last year where he kind of like zoned out and people were concerned he might be having like TIAs or something. So I don't know. But even if he does, you know, he's he's going to be there next year. And does he want to does he want to run for leadership again? Because I I venture to say that this time they're coming for him. And it won't be Rick Scott because I don't think Rick Scott's got the uh you know, I don't think he's got enough support to run against Mitch McConnell, but Ted Cruz does. Mike Lee does. And of course, if Donald Trump becomes president, then Mitch McConnell really should go home because the former president and Mitch McConnell not only don't get along, but the president has already said this guy should be gone. And I'm figuring, and I think most of you probably agree with me, at this time next year, in February, on February 7th of 2025, I'm willing to bet that Donald Trump is in the White House. Now, you can write that down. You can, you know, you can uh, clip this recording. It'll be on a podcast. I'm saying that one year from today, Donald Trump will be the president. And if I were Mitch, uh, Mitch McConnell, I'd be seriously considering getting out of Donald Trump's way because I don't think Donald Trump's going to take much guff from these people anymore. I really don't. He's going to want a Senator Johnson, um, whatever, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, somebody that he believes can get the job done and get the votes done. We'll see. Poor Speaker Johnson. He lost two bills in the last 48 hours. A standalone bill for Israel couldn't get passed? Uh, that to me is mind-boggling. You know, but that's where we are. All this legislation sitting dead and the American people blame the leadership and the leadership has to acknowledge that uh, who are we going to blame? And when are you going to get busy? When are you going to get something done? The border bill that they showed, that they presented, was indefensible. You know, and just because Lisa Murkowski and a couple of other Republicans are, well, but we can't walk away. We got to get the best. And Kristen Cinema and blah. Hey, 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 hey. No. No. We've done this before. We've had amnesty before. We've done all of these things before and they haven't worked. Now, they can't get rid of McConnell like they could uh, Kevin McCarthy, but he'll have to run for leadership and we'll see what happens. You know, maybe they'll get the majority. And if they do, I tr trust me, Mitch McConnell is not going to be the majority leader. It's not going to happen. All right, let me take a break. Don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs and Lars Larson. Then tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed at 9 by Brian Kilmeade, followed at noon by Dan Bongino, and then, of course, I come back at 3 o'clock. But I have one segment left, so keep that dial right where it is. I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 
So that's it. The GOP senator who is uh, giving all this information to Politico. Um, first and foremost, like if you're a, a Republican senator, why would you give any information to Politico? It's fa- fascinating to me because you'll be attacked eventually and they'll, di- they'll disclose who you were. The only people whose identities they hide forever and ever are the Democrats. So you got to be too stupid to serve in the Senate. How about that? To be talking to the reporters over at Politico. But listen, I never said that, uh, that, that these guys had passed an IQ test because I think you'd be hard-pressed to show me some really brilliant minds. I, I think you know a lot of people had high expectations for a guy like J.D. Vance, and I don't know. I'm guessing, now this is going to come out at you from left field, but I would say that J.D. Vance might be on the short list for VP. I'm just saying, there's a lot of buzz around certain people. And immediately, you know, Donald Trump falls for the buzz. And to some extent, any presidential candidate does. But this is, uh, this is some serious stuff. Donald Trump is going to be in a very dangerous position when he wins the presidency. And whoever is sitting in that second chair, whoever the VP is, has got to be prepared at any time to, to take over. You know, he could be incarcerated, although that's not likely. And certainly, I think uh, you know, there are people who hate him enough to harm him. And so you better have a very competent, ready on day one, person sitting in the VP chair because can you imagine what would have happened if Joe Biden actually you know floundered so badly that he had to be removed and we had Kamala Harris as the president I I just want you to close your eyes for one minute and think about that our borders are who doesn't ever go down to the border and apparently has no plan on how to secure the border she would be in charge of everything scary that's why i say it's a very serious decision and i don't think donald trump's going to leave it up to uh the same people who selected mike pence although could have been worse mike pence at least during the four years that they were there he was loyal to donald trump whatever happened at the end he got all paranoid and scared and thought his life was in danger and he blamed Donald Trump. I don't know that that's true, but it's the only thing I can think of. Well, guess what? You can't have somebody like that. You got to have somebody who when the proverbial poop, poop hits the fan, they stand firm. They're not scared. They mo- move ahead with whatever the agenda is, whatever the plan is of that administration. And that's why, trust me, it ain't going to be anybody like that. It's going to be somebody who is as strong-willed as Donald Trump himself, if there is such a person. I, I, I can name like five people, but that's nobody's asking me. So it's enough that I told you who's going to be the next president. I don't know who he's going to select to be his VP. I think, you know, Musk would be a good choice, but that's not going to happen. Anyway, the... Um, Final thing I wanted to talk about was this deal that they're apparently crafting in Qatar for the end of the Israeli-Palestinian war. Okay, 
Benjamin Netanyahu is not going to have a ceasefire in Gaza. It's not going to happen. I'm quite confident in saying that, and you should be too. And this proposal that's being floated now by Qatar and Israel and Egypt and the U.S. all gathering together and, you know, this Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and, oh, this is not going to happen. If you give in to Hamas's bizarre demands, not only will you not get the release of the hostages, you will get another massacre. Netanyahu knows that. He has told the people of Israel that. The people of Israel know that now, too. And he believes he can topple Hamas within the next couple of months. You have to let him do that. Because this uh, diplomatic push by our country and by Qatar and Egypt, we're not fighting for our lives. They are. The Israelis are. And negotiations are continuing. But if anybody really believes that, the, that there's a, a, even a sizable amount of those hostages still alive in Gaza, you are delusional and very naive. I don't believe that. And I don't even want to think about what those women have been through or what those children have been through. Not even, I, 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 that's the stuff that keeps me up at night. So uh, is not going to back down. Thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless Israel. May God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow at three. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.